This isn't just beer. This is beer longing. month we're talking about beer beer adventures and discussing the topics that are reverberating around the beer community this is beer longing i'm steve and i'm joined by my co-hosts mark and rob welcome chaps how are you doing very um, well yeah i'm doing very well i'm glad that i don't have to introduce myself on the on this show because we, we've, we've done that we don't we don't need to do it every episode yeah. people you know, know who, who i are am yeah mm. e- exactly and this is episode two of beer longing how are we feeling after the first episode is now out there in, in, in the wild? We kind of sat on it for so long and, and then dropped it as what seemed to come as a complete surprise to, to, to most people. Um, personally, I, I think the reaction was very good to that first episode. Uh, how about you? Oh, to be honest, it's, it was really overwhelmingly good. I had to just uh, switch off my notifications so i could actually like do my day job because there's just all, all these comments coming in i thought all right i need to save these for later so i can uh, thank everyone properly for the for the nice comments it, it, it was a surreal day because i set off to work uh, uh, i'd actually been oh, i got up to the toilet in the middle of the night just checked twitter as um steve just five minutes previously changed everything over and i thought Right, here we go. And yeah. then I, I got up, walked to work, thought, don't just don't look at anything, sat down, did half an hour of work, and then just thought I'd check Twitter, and it was like the most <laughs> notifications <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, um, yeah get, get used to that. Yeah. It was, it was inc- what a response, though. It was incredible. Oh, that was it. so humbling. So yeah, I, I, was, I, was, I was beaming, man. It was brilliant. Yeah, and I think interesting point you say there, Mark, about obviously I did stay up until fairly late to change everything over. And I thought, got away with that. Nobody's seen it. And then bloody Mick, Mick McGrawity, <laughs> there he is, oh, yeah. still he's, wide awake at half past 12, he's, making he's, a big thing about be- it all. That's that's always just about before he'll fall asleep on the, <laughs> on, on the sofa that time is. Uh, so, so yeah, but no, uh, I have to agree, and we are really, really grateful to every single person that that listens to the show, and and that fed back as well. Uh, we have loved reading through everybody's comments, all of the well wishes that we got, um, even the people that said that they hate the jingles. Well, unlucky because they're here to stay. Um, uh, well, but... I had to do, I had to do something. Well, we, we knew we knew the logo was brilliant, but now that we know that it memes really well, then, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. even better than we could have ever wished for. No, felt, exactly. Let's just mention again as well how fantastic Roof was as our first guest, and it was lovely to see so many comments that that did mention how much they enjoyed what what Roof had to say. 
Yeah, and I, I think I think Ruth helped us to set out our stall in terms of the the sort of caliber of guests and the things that we're going to be talking about as well. Which again, you'll see from 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 this week's guest later on in in the show. But as I say, it's it's been great listening to all that feedback. Keep it coming. Use the hashtag belonging, and you can get involved in the show. So let's move on to the first part of the show, and this is where we drink a beer that we've each sent to each other. From the shelves. From the shelves. I have got I've got this from Rob this month. So this is uh, two by two brewing. It is Whippersnapper New Zealand IPA, five point eight percent. And Rob, why did you choose to send me this? Oh uh, well, uh, as we'll find out in in our next section, I was recently in Newcastle and two by two are a brewery I'd heard of, but I hadn't really tried any of their stuff. And um, I think they were definitely the, the find of the trip. and But I did buy myself um, a can of that beer as well. And I did mean to drink it before before this, but I forgot. So hopefully it's nice. It's Well, it's um, it's really thick. I mean, it's, 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 it's very, beyond uh, hazy. It's quite yellow looking, isn't it, it? it? It looks like something Steve would hate. So that's a great start. <laughs> well, well, I think we're Thanks, a bit... Thanks, guys! <laughs> one, one, one thing we did say about the last show is that perhaps we were a bit uh, too safe with the beers we sent each other. So I... I've, I've, I think we've we've stepped outside the box just a little bit uh, this time. Flavor wise, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's all peach and mango. It's yeah. it's got a really great combination. It's really juicy, really tropical. There, there is a nice balanced bitterness on the finish of it. It's, Any it's... like grapiness going on? Not that that's a word, but you know what I mean. Why is there Nelson Sovin in this? By well, it's, it's New Zealand, isn't it? So, <laughs> so it's all grapes. Um, I can't say it's there immediately. Maybe, mm. maybe on the aftertaste in that bitterness, maybe there's a little bit of grape skin, grape tannins, that sort of thing. What's the, um, what's, what's the, uh, the finish on it like? Is it a bit dry? It's it's dry. It's uh, it's a balanced bitterness. It's not overpoweringly bitter. It, it, it's quite it's quite balanced. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's enjoyable enough. Thank thank you very much. It's um, it is a little bit outside of my comfort zone the way it looks. But but certainly not the way it tastes. I'm really enjoying that. Excellent. Oh right, I'll go. I'll go next then. So uh, Marcus sent a beer to me this month, and it is from Play Broco, and it's called Dog Bite. And this is a crazy beer. It's a six percent <laughs> ABV, Colorado Bulldog, iced coffee, and cola white stout. What? <laughs> I don't know. Hell? I don't. It's, it's, Co- uh, coffee and cola white stout for anyone yeah. that wasn't listening there. And it smells kind of does in on the nose. I'm getting the the cola sort of thing going on. A little bit of coffee does smell a bit stouty, but it's definitely a, a fruity nose. So I'm just going to dive in and have a gulp of that. Well, while you're having a taste, I'll just say that I went to play Bruco this past weekend, um, and it was one of the beers I had on there on keg, and I found it interesting, certainly enjoyable but more interesting than anything and that i have to click straight away when we're talking about challenge potentially sending challenging beers or not that they always have to be but i thought well this is something that i need to share with whoever i'm sending a beer to this month which happens to be you rob yeah so go on what are your thoughts i'll tell you what man there's a lot going on in this but at the same time it is really easy drinking I don't know what a Colorado Bulldog iced coffee is or whether a Colorado Bulldog and iced coffee are two separate things, but 
I am getting sort of um cold brew coffee thing going on, which you do get a little bit of sweetness from anyway. And then there's a lot of um I can definitely taste it's kind of like um Harry Bow's cola bottles going on. And you know what? It's not unpleasant. I do quite like this. And I I think drinking that draft, I'd probably quite happily drain a couple of these. That sounds yeah. right. Well, it's when I saw street. the can, that I thought that's insane. It's I, I certainly got more coffee than cola, but then there's something about that taste that white stout has that's slightly different to yeah. you know dark it's, stout that somehow reminds me of cola anyway, and I can never understand why. So there's there's something in that. But yeah, I, I think like you're getting a little bit of roasty bitterness straight away the the coffee sort of flavors but then there's a lot of sweetness coming through which is where i guess i'm finding the cola but yeah thanks for this mark it's not a brewery i've even heard of and it's probably not a can i would have ever picked up for myself so thank you no problem I don't want us to go too far into the we need to send each other really challenging beers every nah. month because <laughs> Steve has sent me a smoked Belgian porter. Uh, are, you, are you wondering where I got this from then? Um, I, and it's from, I'm going to say Viven, but that I, I believe be it's wrong. pronounced Viven, yeah. But I assume on your recent trip to Belgium, maybe. That, that that was absolutely it. It's uh, that the smoked porter in Belgium is a, or, or certainly where we were in Bruges, there aren't many of them, and, and and I spent a lot of time in in the bottle shop just trying to find a smoked beer because I know obviously I know I was sending to you, and I was like, I've, I've got to send the man a smoked beer. It's it's it's, it's what he's known for. How, how is it? So I'm I'm happy to be sending smoked beers every month just so <laughs> you're clear, Stephen Rob. Um, <laughs> See on on the on the nose as much well, for me who demands the most smokiness of smokiness, there's um, a decent whiff of smoke, but there's more of that sort of burnt sugar characteristic that you get in Be- Belgian darker beers like doubles and stuff like that. But the taste is just pure, just smoke sausageiness, and it's uh, it's absolutely wonderful. It's still got that sweet character that a lot of Belgian beers have and there's I, I want a thinness but in a good way to it which you you sometimes I thought you get in Belgian porters um but it's very very smoky on the taste so I'm very very happy thank you very much I'm, I'm glad to hear it because I think we did try one smoked beer while we was out there and it and it was so light on 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 the smokiness that I was like, even if I can find a, a really robust smoked porter, is it is it going to have enough of it? But it's it, it it's great to hear that it does seem to. It seems oh. to tick the box. Absolutely fantastic. That's uh, not to over exaggerate, but that that'll happily be one of the best beers I've had this year. <laughs> so, and that's coming from ter- Smokey Johnson himself. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> terrific stuff. <laughs> Smokey Johnson. Well, that that seems to be a, a win all, all around this month. So, uh, well done, well done, us. Pat on the back. Good stuff. Yeah. Um, really tasty beers, and, and and we'll be doing that again next month. Again, changing the rotation. So we're we're, we're sending to different people. While we continue to enjoy these first beers, let's catch up with what we've been up to. 
It's been a it, it's been a, a busy month, so I'll try and keep things brief. Just touch on a couple of things. The was it the weekend after or the weekend before we released that indie weekend happened? before. It was the weekend before, so it was after we recorded, wasn't it? Um, so Indie Man was fantastic. I saw Rob. I saw, uh, I lots, saw of, lots of people. <laughs> I saw lots of uh, people that fed back on the first show. Um, I was quite apprehensive this year that for some reason that I just wasn't going to enjoy it, but uh, it was actually one of my favourite years. What, what When I actually have time to finish a blog post there will be a small blog post about it so i don't need to mention that too much but it was very very good so and it was great to see everybody that uh, was there so um hi if i did see you uh the weekend after there was the what should have been the rearranged smoke fest but there was train strikes again so they just did a, a light version 16 smoked beers rather than 30 i believe on draft which was still a really good time, and that was really well put together, and the beers were fantastic, so that's always worth mentioning. Uh, but the past weekend, I've just been to Hartlepool and Middlesbrough, which is where I bought Rob's beer, and that was quite an interesting beer adventure. Again, there will be a couple of blog posts about it, so I don't want to go over the top into it, but I feel like Hartlepool's had a lot of traction since there was a pellicle magazine uh <laughs> post about banked beers um which i don't know if either of you read yeah um which is now considered like a phenomenon and i i went back to uh, i should i should mention i went to hartlepool for the fact that it was featured on my there's a pub up there that features on my blog series of the the 10 pubs that made me, which I'm currently writing. So I had to revisit a pub up there. And then I was going to Middlesbrough for the Huddersfield game the day after. So I killed two birds with one stone. That's why I was there. But I used to live in Hartlepool for a year. And the idea that it's be, potentially become a bit of a, a beer tourist place really amused me um, because it's... <laughs> And I'm, I'm, by the way, I absolutely love Hartlepool with all of my heart, but it's it's not a nice place. It's not a place where you'd want to go as a, a tourist, um, as lovely as it is, and it's on the sea. So the idea that people were going to go there for banked pints specifically amused me. And it's more of a beer desert than it was beforehand. Even one of the weather spoons is shut. That's how quiet Hartlepool is <laughs> these days. I did manage some banked pints, but the numbers of pubs that were shut was upsetting in some ways. Um, and then, but Middlesbrough was the most interesting one because Middlesbrough had absolutely nothing when I lived up there. Even the only good beer guide entry, because this was back in two thousand and nine, when well, I wouldn't say it, it was when craft, for example, was beginning. Yes, I'm using inverted commas there. The first time I ever had Punk IPA was actually when I was living in Hartlepool. So it was it was that kind of year when things were setting off. So mostly for looking up good beer destinations, you still use the good beer guide if you were a beer drinker. And I remember that Middlesbrough's, which is a large town, its only entry was the Weatherspoons as well. So that's two mentions for Weatherspoons there. But I'd heard that it'd become a bit of a hotspot for micro pubs that there's like seven or eight that have opened in the intervening years um 
and so it's there's a lot going on and i went to four or five of them and they were all really disappointing and i came i realized that i don't particularly like micro pubs anyway that much but when they're done badly yeah if you think about micro pubs they just mostly converted shops yeah, but they, then, can be, they can be really claky, can't they? You can get a really friendly one, but most of them, they kind of have their regulars, and then if you walk in and you're not a regular, it can be a bit uncomfortable. Yeah, and I know people that refer to them as shop bars, the shop bars, because they're converted shops, but then there's nothing wrong with that, because North Bar in Leeds was a converted shop. So yeah. in some ways, that was the original micropub, if you want to think of it about it that way. But I just thought, but I, I just like pubs. I don't like this environment. So when the beer selection's poor, a good pub can get away with a, an average beer selection. Yeah. A micro pub really can't. So, um, yeah, great beer adventures because I wouldn't recommend going to either Hartlepool or Middlesbrough, guys. I've, ru- I've, do- I've done it for you. I've ruled it out. But there is um, Play Bruco is five or ten minutes walk from the train station. And they are... They're they're very modern. When you get to the tap room, it feels like a lot of other tap rooms that you've been in. But they are doing different stuff. There was a good range of beers on. Some of them bordering on them on the more wacky. I got a a coconut and marshmallow something stout thing going on. I've obviously the, you know the beer that I've sent to Rob and there was watermelon sours and stuff like that. But then there was just some really nice standard pale ales and things like that. So what I would say is if you do find yourself in Middlesbrough then play Bruco is worth a worth a look in. So there you at go. least at least you got yeah. one recommendation out of that Mark. Yeah. Yeah. Um and the Weatherspoons is shit. So there you go. The, the, these are facts that we know. <laughs> I needed a wee, and that was the nearest place to the train station. So for my beery adventures, like first of all, I'll just touch on that I was also at Indiman. It's my first time since 2016, because I think the three years after that, I was on holiday every time. And then that pandemic that some of you may remember happened. But yeah, it was great. I had a really good time. Lovely to see lots of people and to uh, hang out with my now co-host, co-host co-host mark johnson but can, yeah my, my... Can, can i just congratulate you two on managing an entire indie man session together drinking and not saying a word to anybody that the podcast was happening the following week i was well done him. i wasn't well done. with him all the time so he, he might have laid sleep I, I don't Had we, I did we record the night before as well or... pretty much yeah. yes yes yeah. we did <laughs> yeah yeah I mean, rob actually sidled up to me and just sort of whispered in my ear it's been a while since I've seen you. That's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Yeah. I, I, I felt like a ghost that day, actually, because I managed to just keep appearing without people noticing, which is usually quite difficult for me. <laughs> You're not the but smallest yeah. of men, are you? Let's, let's no, be honest. Not, not really. No. <laughs> tend to stand out in a crowd. But yeah, so my uh, my main beery adventure was my first trip to Newcastle upon Tyne uh, a couple of weekends ago. And tell you what is great i knew i was going to like newcastle i can't speak that's how much i like newcastle but yeah uh it's great scope for uh well it's miles lambert a listener of the show's birthday and um love the free trading love the cumberland arms uh went over to wylam for a bit that's a very fancy affair there uh yeah and discovered that 
two by two Bruco. And and I love their tap room to be fair, because I was a bit grumpy at that point because I just wanted to go back to the free trade in. But we got there and I just really uh, enjoyed the vibe in there. But the free trade in has has that effect on you, doesn't it? That when you leave mm. it, you immediately get the grump on because you just it's such a wonderful place. Yeah, that you I'll... just want to spend all your time in there. Well, I went there Friday night as well, and I, I managed to have two drinks in there, but I swear I was still only there for half an hour, and then Miles went charging off to, uh, where did we go to? The Town Mouse, I think. But yeah, love Newcastle, can't wait to go again. And it was also good to meet up with a, a couple of listeners of the show. Um, they're Twitter users who don't use their own face, so I did have to ask some questions just to ascertain that they were who they said they were. But yeah, it's lovely to meet Pete uh, Hops and Hoops and uh, Neil Hayden. So yeah, Newcastle, love it as canny. What about yourself, Steve? What have you been up to this uh, this month? Not not really that much. Um, I went to our regular monthly bottle share that that, that we have in in, in Chelmsford, and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't normally mention that because people know that I do that, but I, I want to mention it purely because of one of the beers that we drank while we were there. So back in the summer, Leon C was celebrating their fifth birthday, and they did five collaboration beers, and and one of the collaborations that they did was with a group from the Bottle Share itself. So the, the, the Bottle Share group has a couple of avid home brewers that kind of designed a recipe that was based on uh, based on a spreadsheet that was based on an algorithm that basically told them what the most popular style is that we've had a bottle share over the last seven years. I've and... lost interest already. That was far <laughs> too much information. <laughs> and and what the the average strength is. So, so basically what they came up with was they wanted to brew a seven point something, I should not say two or five, maybe one of those, probably neither, uh, a seven point something percent Saison. Um, which was brewed in collaboration with Essex Bottle Share and, and Matt from Leon C decided to call it first Tuesday of the month because that's when that's when they meet and he, he was able to bring some bottles of it along to, to, to Bottle Share last month for us all to try and I've got to say it was it ended up being a New Zealand hopped Saison and it was absolutely delicious it had that kind of classical Saison funk going on uh, a lot of grassiness but then it had the punchiness from the New Zealand hops and then the, the other thing uh this this past week weekend I got together with some friends um, yeah well so I didn't uh, see my invite for that <laughs> I feel like I should be at these things now I've never been invited to a single one of these listener things, Rob, don't you? Okay, so, right so this wasn't a, a, a listener thing. This was, and, and there was a reason why it was such a small group of people. So, so for the last five years, I've been um, buying and storing the uh, Marble annual releases. So they release a barley wine and they release Decadence Imperial Stout every Christmas. And, and I've kept those for five years going back and... I, I looked. I looked in my cellar, and I was like, "When am I ever going to drink these beers? I'm, I'm never going to sit down and enjoy them all side by side on my own because there's just too much volume." And what with um, Clayton um, announcing that he's going back to New Zealand soon, um, I, I thought, "What a better opportunity than to, to share with kind of a handful of people." And for for those that, that listen to the old opinions, you'll know that we, we do the Clayfest thing every summer, but when that started, there, there were only four of us that were there on, on the very first Clayfest. So just the four of us got together and we, we shared 
basically did a vertical tasting from 2017 through to 2021. We started off with the barley wines in the afternoon for some reason. Now they're all 12.4%, um, which which is fucking Classic. ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. We really should have done those in the evening. One um, more beers too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just just well, some refreshers in between, and and yeah. there was some gin, and and yeah, and I I'd, I'd say that one one of the guys, so, so, so Tom, who's who's a regular at these sort of events, he bought along a beer from Alvine. Um, called Second Age, which is a 12.8% quad that's been double barrel aged in Armagnac and in white port barrels. And and I've got to say, without any hyperbole whatsoever, it's quite possibly one of the best beers that I've ever drunk. It was absolutely outstanding. That The condition on it was like drinking cask beer out, out of a bottle. It was It had that smoothness. It left blazing down, down down the glass at a perfectly tight head all the way down. It was just delicious. Um, I'm, I'm just so grateful that he, he chose to bring that and, and share it during a whole load of other massive beers and that I can <laughs> barely remember how good it was um, because there, there is a point in the evening where someone sent a picture on our, our group on Sunday morning and I looked at it and I was like, nope, don't remember that being taken. No recollection whatsoever. It of, wasn't of, a picture of, of you asleep, was it? Uh, no, but I did fall asleep uh, shortly okay. after that. Uh, yeah. But I will say that in terms of the drink, the peak seemed to be around 2019 for both the barley wine and the imperial stout. That that was where they were at their absolute best. Now that was also the first time that Marble went back to putting them back in the 660 bombers. It was also the same year that they moved their brewery. Um, I've got to say that the older ones in the cans didn't seem to hold up as well. Now, I don't know whether that's because they were in a can or whether it was because they were older, but certainly the newer versions from 2019 onwards, the ones in the bottles were all fantastic. And yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. It was a, 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 a real interesting experiment, even if I can't remember too much about very very much the later imperial stouts are a, a struggle in terms of memory obviously all this talk of um people missing out and people not getting invited to things just so we're clear hashtag not the crimbo crawl friday the second saturday the third of december in leeds i'm going to be up there for a few days saturday the third of december will be uh, amity bruco in farsley uh the friday we're going to be in leeds central doing all of the classic sort of places that you'd expect uh, a visit on um a trip to Leeds. so everybody is is welcome there, there are no personal invites being given out for this um if you listen to this podcast you can consider yourself welcome to join us on one or on on, on either of those days it'll be great to see as many many people as as can possibly bake it and have a few beers before christmas so that's that's not the crimbo crawl and and that's in leeds in december while we've been going through the beer adventures, I finished uh, the two by two uh, Whippersnapper New Zealand IPA. Uh, very enjoyable. Thank you very much, Rob. And I know in the meantime, we've all refreshed our glasses. So, uh, gentlemen, what are you drinking on round two this evening? I have gone for a supermarket beer that I'm very excited about. When I found out that Morrison's are now stocking Burnt Mills Green Puff, I am. Um, had to make a trip to my local Morrison's, who normally disappoint me, but on this uh, occasion, they had Green Path. So that is what is in my glass. And it I'll tell you what, going back to about 2018, I would not shut up about this beer. Was, I was yeah. going to say, I was, I was a big fan of that beer when it first came out, and 
I've not had it for a few years. So still tasting good. It's it, yeah, it still tastes good. But if, if anything, I think maybe I don't know. I've, stuff's happened since then, so perhaps it's not living. I, I'd say it's still a good uh, four out of five beer, whereas before I was, I was, I was all five stars, baby. <laughs> I th- I think burnt meal do fly under a lot of people's radars. I, yeah, I, I, I think they don't really shout a lot about their beers. Um, and a lot of people don't really shout very much about the beers. I mean, I think yeah. Pin- Pintle's an incredible beer. Oh, amazing. Yeah, I love it. There's, if- there's definitely a select group of people who do tend to shout out about Burnt Mill. So, yeah, let's let's give Burnt Mill some love. And at a time like this, when uh, money's tight, it's lovely to have something of this quality in, in the supermarket. The most frustrating thing about Burnt Mill is also one of the most positive things that as a person who you know can be critical of some of the hazy and new england styles at times uh, all of burnt mills version of that style i absolutely love there and i always say that's because they're really well made if they're really well made they don't have that onion characteristic they don't have that cloying thing they're just exactly how the uh, the style the style should be from where it originated but that mm-hmm. then masks the fact that they're actually some of the best west coast ipa producers in this country but then don't do them enough and things like their bitter lake uh, which i think is their five percent west coast pale or five and a half percent possibly it's an absolutely fantastic bitter pale ale their dark beers as well are spectacular it's like i, I had an out-of-date can of their baltic porter and i wasn't really expecting it to be I thought it's going to be okay, obviously, because it's burnt milk, but it stood up to the test of time. It was absolutely amazing. I had a really good American barley wine from them earlier on mm. in the year as well, which will surprise no one to hear that they absolutely nailed that style as as, as well. You know, it's big, bold, resinous, bitter, just bitterness that just went on for days, one of those sort of barley wines. So, so yeah, couldn't, yeah, couldn't agree more in terms of our assessment there of a burnt meal and, and what they're able to do. Yeah, they're a brewery that you see you see their beer, you expect them to have a it's going to it's going to taste like what what it says it should taste like for a start off. And it's always going to taste good. Yeah. Well I'm I'm going to jump in there because I'm kind of in the same region or, or, or same area. And I am drinking a beer from duration that, that I have most recently declared is absolutely my beer of the year. And, and, and this is a Belgian triple that they've, they've just released called Seeds Sleep in the Darkness. It's 8.5% and it's been done in collaboration with an organisation called Carrier Company, who are, I believe they're like a foraging company um, that uh, are up in the same area as, as where Duration are. And I had this uh, a couple of weeks ago when, when I put in an order from, from Duration, and it literally blew my socks off to the point where I then put in an order just for 12 cans of this because it's it's that good. It's proper classic Belgian triple. It's It's got that honey sweetness. There's a tiny little bit of funk going on in there, and, and then it just finishes with this beautiful balanced bitterness that just drags you back in for more it's it's a wonderful beer and i literally i can't speak highly enough about how good this beer is 
Duration, duration again. I, I don't think duration fly under the radar as much as maybe Burt Mill, but are one of those that certain parts of the inverted commas craft beer community uh, find a little boring. And again, it's because they just make really good beer. Good, good yeah. beer. Oh well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous, isn't it? But yeah. it is. So, but just actually, it's well-made clean beer that's just right yeah. to style. Nothing else, you know. Things like their dripping pitch, um, pale ale, and things like that are just really good clean versions of the yeah. style that uh, you can re- re- revert back to again and again and, and they will always taste the same every time that you go back to them yeah there's absolutely no nonsense in any of their beers and i really respect that and i really enjoyed what they what they are uh, bringing out so so I, I but i'd only seen this particular beer steve from you tweeting about it but i 100 believe you that it's going to be fantastic so but, well as soon as soon as i bought some more I, was like, I have to absolutely put this on the podcast so so that i can rave about it to, to the people that listen as well which are probably the same people that follow me on twitter unsurprisingly but um yes but believe what i'm saying about this beer it's brilliant um it's <laughs> it is such a great example of of a belgian triple and and i think even if you were to find yourself in in belgium among the classics this would not be out of place it, it absolutely fits right in it's just just perfect that's uh, high praise indeed thank you uh so mark what are you drinking uh well i'm i promise that i won't Bring them onto the podcast or send them every single time. But <laughs> I, I, I am drinking a tar side. Of course you are. And it gets worse. <laughs> is it smoked by any chance? And it's smoked. And it is gets it, worse. Is, is it in collaboration with Mark Smokey Johnson? It, and it's in collaboration with me. <laughs> when I decided that I wasn't going to send Rob this beer this month and that I'd be a bit more adventurous than that, I thought, right, but I've still got. Uh, a few bottles of it left, and I'm going to have one. Uh, obviously, um, forgetting that Steve had bought me a smoke beer to start with, but that's also not a problem. So it's the uh, collaboration that I did with Torside, 5.6% smoked ESB, and I just couldn't be happier with it. It's so damn good. Um, so... I, I I don't think I need to go into a great amount of deal, detail about it. What what I would just say is that I'll, uh, uh, which I'll say a lot about smoke beers is the, there's so much more that you can do with them. People think they're quite one dimensional, or that they should should be attributed to dark beers. This beer is really bitter on the finish, really bitter. And I know as well because I was there. I measured out the hop side of the hops. I know that. There's plenty of bittering hops in there, um, but the smoke is so small. Oh, it's so damn tasty. It's so good. So persist and resist if you see some in the wild. Um, the, the You won't hear it before this show, but there's a cask of it going to a festival in Southport at Taps and Bottles this weekend. Uh, so if you did go to that festival and did get to try the beer on cask, which is something I've not been able to do so far, then please let us know how it tasted because I think it would work wonderfully. And and what did I have to do to let us know, Mark? The need to use the uh, hashtag beer longing. There you go. <laughs> there, there you go. Well, Why we enjoy uh, our second round of beers? Reverberation. 
So this is Reverberations and this is where we'll be discussing something that's been bouncing around the beer community this month. Rob, what is it that we are talking about this month, mate? Uh, it's kind of uh, two sides of the coin, this one. So to start off, um, sadly, the, the economy hasn't been the best. Um, the events of the last couple of years has meant it's been a really difficult time for um, a lot of businesses in, in hospitality, bars and then breweries as well. And sadly, we've seen quite a few closures, um, which have been documented in quite a lot of detail by um, Steve at Beer Nouveau, who has sadly um, put his brewery up for sale as well. So he will be adding himself to the list, sadly. I just used the word sad a lot there, but you know what? It, it's really it sad. Is sad. It's, it's, yeah, it's sad, very yeah. sad. The, I looked at that list of breweries today and it just went on and on and on. And that's just yeah. the first three quarters of this year. So, yeah, so let's just um, pick a few out, for example. So Beatniks Republic in, in Manchester, they closed, stopped their brewing operations in, I think it was April or May. So that the bar still stands, but I think they just commented that the, the negative impact of COVID and just the the financial implications of that have just been disastrous on the business. So it's good that they're able to continue in some capacity, but it, but it's uh, sad to lose the brewery. I think around the same time as them as well, um, Cheshire Brewhouse announced that they were selling up the brewing kit and, and bringing that to a close. And then, uh, then more recently, Nomadic Beers up in, up in Leeds, I think just the, the events of the last couple of years have just been too difficult and they've had to stop operations. And then even we've got a brewer who has been around for 25 years, um, Skinner's down in Truro, Cornwall. They went into administration in that, September, that one I think really it was. surprised me when it was announced because I, yeah. I, I thought they were much bigger and therefore much more stable i don't know they're very maybe they were in cornwall though oh yeah only in cornwall so yeah that 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 was a surprise like i i think one of you mentioned it to me in a discussion we had perhaps before the first show and yeah that blew my mind but then just to um switch over to the other side of the coin as well we've also seen well for a start off um earlier this year Kellum Island Brewery announced that they were stopping operations. I think that was back in, in May, and that was also as a result of just the, the financial implications of, of COVID. But then in September, it was then announced that the, the brewery was being saved by um, a combination, I think it was the, um, the founder of the Tramloids Festival in Sheffield, and then um, Simon Webster and Jim Harrison from Thornbridge um, Peter and Paul Creative Studios, and then um, Ben Reimer from the We Are Beer, the the beer festivals. So that was uh, that was that was something a lot more positive to hear because Pale Rider, especially, is a much loved beer um, in the beer community and around the country. And like Sheffield wouldn't be the same without it. Really, you can't get to the Fat Cat and not have a pint of Pale Rider. So, yeah, I've, I've got. I've got some thoughts about the, the Kellam Island one because I I was I was surprised 
at that news when when it was announced um because they are they're kind of a sheffield institution aren't, aren't yeah. they and um i've got very fond memories of, of of power rider from many many different occasions um it's it's an incredible beer and I, and I think it was even sort of written at maybe the point um where they announced i was closing that uh, i think i can't remember who it was but someone commented on twitter that if, if if it wasn't for power rider it's quite possible that the likes of jaipur wouldn't have existed because it was it was it was the first of its kind and others looked to follow suit in terms of, of what it was. It's probably Simon Webster from Formbridge. I think he said something similar to that. Yeah. That's a big reason for the, the start of their business. Yeah. And I, and, I, and I think it's great that they've, that they've stepped in to buy it because, and I think just this week as we're recording, is or, last or, or was it last week? Lawrence, it? Yeah. yeah. 19th of October. Yeah. Pints, pints of it being poured at the, at the Sheffield, Beer Festival were, were, were all over my, my timeline. And it's great to, to see Pal Ryder back again. And it's it's great to see that that, that Kellam Island have, have been saved. But sadly, they're just like one of, of many, aren't they, yeah. that, that have, have, have managed to kind of come back from, from the brink, so to speak. The thing is, you talk about being surprised about Kellam Island and kind of the same with Skinners. Um, we know Kellam Island well. I... I known well from my time living in sort of Yorkshire and stuff and we know them from the Fat Cat and Kellam Island Tavern I mean how how often in the like three four years running up to this news did you ever see a pint of Kellam Island outside of Sheffield? Never. To be fair I, I saw it in Derby was probably the the nearest to me and that in that is, no yeah which is you know relatively near to sheffield in in, in grand terms but the point is that when, when you think about breweries being successful the same with skinners where do you, when did you ever see them outside of cornwall there might know, have been in tesco what, what, at the, some point but I'm, yeah. I'm not even sure about that it, it, the brewery it, i'd always it, look for them in cornwall yeah if skinners were in tesco that you you're talking 20 years ago like surely like it's not been anything recent um my point that rob keeps trying to shut down here is that (laughs) these breweries are not getting outside of their local area and is 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 there you both saying it's surprising but how surprising is it that um if do 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 they need wider appeal now to survive is is that something that that's I think, a good point. I think they've got. I think they've got to Mark. I don't. I don't. I don't think. I think. Don't think breweries can survive by just catering for their, their local market anymore. If they. If they. If they want to thrive and they, they want to increase the awareness of their, their their beers, then they've got. They've got to become more available. And I, and I do wonder. And I, I don't want to keep coming back to Kellam Island, but it's it's a good example. I, I do wonder with the involvement of of Simon and Jim from Thornbridge, if if they'll now somehow use Thornbridge's distribution network to, to try and it get those beers like a, a little bit wider. So um, I'm saying that's coming to the Colmore, I believe within the next week. Yeah. I was going to yeah. say, I was going to say it'll be in the Thornbridge pubs yeah. without, you know, so. Bo- that, bottles that, of that, power rider in your next Thornbridge beer club folks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's not going to be, first. it's not going to be confined to that. Kellam Island area, basically, of Sheffield anymore. Probably yeah. Weatherspoons were the only other places that I, I would potentially see Kellam Island beers um, th- these days. So, 
a sad loss. Was it surprise? Of course, it was sad. They're they're all sad yeah. losses in terms of being surprised by some of the names on that list. We we're going to see it more and more. Unfortunately, um, agree. I, yeah, sadly, and, and sadly agree. And it, and it's also the other factors behind it. You know, there's a, a brewery, Rock Mill in New Mills. The 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 other brewery in New Mills. Um, announced that it was not on Steve's list, but they've just announced that they're closing, and that's you know a landlord dispute that the landlord's just selling up the building and just said, Clear your stuff out, basically. I need to sell the building just out of the blue when they were looking to expand. So, and that's a knock on effect of you know, other people, you know, jumping ships, sell it, selling the, their. So people, people, people selling their assets whilst they can in this current climate. We can probably expect to see a lot more of that as well because just get your tiny violins out now. Landlords are are having a rough time of it now that they're struggling to rip people off as much as they would like to. So there are going to be breweries and other businesses that are just forced out. For yeah, that most reason. most breweries that we know do not own their building is is rented and if landlords and stuff so it's not just rising energy costs or pubs struggling but the knock-on effect of all the things that are happening now which can be things like the in, in impact of rent and landlords and stuff like that means that it's going to the, the the impact of pubs closing obviously has an effect on breweries because who's buying your beer when there's fewer pubs mm-hmm um, and there's a lot, lot more breweries now than ever before, despite the, the closures. So, and you say again about the importance of having appeal outside of your local area. Um, that's impacted even more by the fact that beers from outside the local area are coming in and taking up that tap space. Well, yeah. what, what do we think? Uh, what do we think of? Is it North Brewing Co. Are coming to yeah. Birmingham? So that's another thing. So obviously for, for North Brewing Co., that's very good news that they're expanding. They're opening up their first tap outside of outside of well, outside of Yorkshire. I know they've got the Harrogate tap and a few different um North businesses. But yeah, they're moving to um Snow Hill in Birmingham. So yeah, I've I've got um my feelings about that. Obviously, I I like what North um Brewing do. I like I like North Bar. I like their their other tap in in Leeds Centre. I don't think I've ever been to the brewery, but at the same time, they've been time, rumoured to be opening up in Manchester as well for ages. So they're obviously right. looking at different cities as well. The, the Manchester one, Manchester one hasn't got off the ground yet for whatever yeah. reason. But um, so they're looking, and that's good because from a business sense, they're looking at how to survive, how yeah. to expand. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting that they picked Birmingham from my point of view as well. Like, so I'm I'm pleased about that, but at the same time, I'm like, uh, sometimes I'm like, not sure how I feel about them stepping onto that turf mm-hmm. and perhaps taking away from established uh, Birmingham businesses. I think I think with the location, it's it's a good location where it's kind of in between. It's kind of a link between the the jewelry quarter and Hockley sort of area to the the centre of of the city, so I think it could be a good thing. But in terms of their beer, and then they're going to have the um, the little bow boys there as well. That excites me. Is 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 Snow Hill the area where? Um, it's where Snow Hill Station is pretty much. 
Yeah. Do, do you reckon? Is, yeah. is that is that why they what came first, the station or the hill? Um, <laughs> is, well, is scholars it, have said. <laughs> is it, but is, is that where the original Patty Men and Kilda is? is no, is, that's is that, Big Buff. That's Moore oh, Street okay. Station. Yeah. Right. So that, okay. So like, I've got a bit if you, if you think about um, Snowell, it's like halfway between Tilt and Burning Soul and the Wolf. Well, I know I've got thoughts on the subject, but what what are you, what do you think, Steve? Will you be interested in going to the North Brewing Co. in Birmingham if they open one in London? Would you be in it? And that's or, or if it was any Leeds brewery. To be fair, know. it's it's no different to the Colmore, the Thornbridge pub opening up in Birmingham as well. I was I was going to say that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's no different to, to to Thornbridge expanding into other cities. It's no different to Brew York doing the same and putting a bar in True, in, in, yeah. in Leeds as well. I'm I'm probably less likely to, to rush to a, a North Brewing bar because generally they don't tend to make the sort of beer that I, I I tend to drink. So they do a lot of hazy stuff. They do a lot of DDH stuff. They do a lot of soured, fruited stuff. And and that's like Sputnik. Yeah, but I, I don't I don't want to be going out and drinking Sputnik. To to, to mm. be honest with you, um, but I, I think. If if breweries are going to survive, it, it, it's what it's, it's exactly what you said earlier, Mark, about Kellam Island. If, if if breweries are going to survive, they've got to look wider than just the place in which they that that they sit. So how can we how can we get our beers to more customers in I suppose the cheapest way possible? So you you take this in comes Birmingham cheap. Yeah. No, it's, I wasn't saying that. But no, no, real estate is obviously going to be cheaper in somewhere like Birmingham than it is in in London or perhaps yeah. even Manchester. I was thinking more in distribution terms. Yeah. So if 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 a brewery's got their own bar, then the beer is going from from the brewery direct to the bar, and they're probably transporting it there themselves some somehow. So that there's there's got to be some sort of saving in there. And and that way they are getting brewery fresh beer to their customers. Um, so I, I think to, to survive, I think more breweries are probably going to start looking at this model in, in terms of saying we, we either sit at where we're at now or if we're going to expand, we've got to find a way to get our beer to more people to make more money because, you know, now is not the time to be opening new bars. It, it, it really yeah. isn't what with the current financial climate. Well, that kind of leads us on to as well, um, perhaps smaller breweries, not so much moving out of their city, but just expanding within their city, like I believe um, Pomona Sl- Island. Slow your, ro- slow your roll, because I've got feelings about what we're talking about oh, here. I'd Rob. love to hear those feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Revert back because I've got. I was, was going to. That's all I, right. That was a beautiful segue, but unfortunately, I've got too many feelings about the thing we're talking about. So oh, well, I was going to turn it over to you anyway. So be my guest. <laughs> Sorry about that, Rob. But I think I will have to um, because I want to touch on that Thornbridge thing and the North Brewing Co. first thing first. Do that. Mona Island thing separate. So. Well, I'll tell you where I stand. Strap yourselves in, folks. <laughs> Smokey's about to roll. I'll tell you what my feeling about the <laughs> North Brewing Co. thing reminds me of, and this is why I was asking, not from the business, from a business model, obviously it makes sense. But I, I, I was I was interested in your thoughts as a drinker because, and I use the Northern Monk um, thing all the time, that Northern Monk Refectory, um, 
when it was open for the first few years in Leeds was just an absolute must go to. I love the space. I obviously love their beers. Um, and so whenever I go into Leeds, it was, you know, a bit further out than other places. So you'd always start there. You'd always be like, well, yeah. we're starting at Northern Refectory the rest of the day centers around this. Yeah, then they opened their bar in Manchester. And everyone in Manchester was like, oh, yeah, there's that new Northern Mum place. We'll try that. And everyone tried it like once or twice and was like, it's all right. But we've already got other Manchester-based institutions that we like going to. And even though nobody's saying that out loud, psychologically, everyone was like, but I'd rather go to Track or the Marble Arch or Beatniks, which was just across the road. And so nobody really went to Northern Monk. Because like, people... because we when I go to Leeds, I like going to Northern yeah. Monk. I don't come to Manchester for it. But then when I go to Leeds, I'd be like, I can't be bothered going to Northern Monk because I've got that I've got that in Manchester. So in the it, as it turned out, I ended up going to neither Northern Monk place because there was now two of them. <laughs> Whereas when there was only one of them. Perhaps me and Steve feel a bit different being from what elsewhere. So we perhaps don't have the same allegiance to Manchester. Uh, not, not so that's why I was trying to create is a hypothetical yeah, situation. Not so much not, for not, myself, but I certainly know people who perhaps I've been up to Manchester with have definitely been more excited about going to the Northern Monk place than I, I, I think it's, personally. It's an interesting one because if I, if I think back to when we, we used to do the Crimbo Crawls and Summer Sesh, that sort of thing. If, if we were going to a city, we wanted to highlight what was great about that city. And Then and you came that, to Birmingham and went to the Colmore about 17 times. Shut up. There was Cask Jaipur um, <laughs> and pizza. Um, but, yeah, we've, we've tried to highlight what's what's really good about that city. Um, so when, when we did the Crimbo Crawl in Manchester, we specifically didn't go to Northern Monk because a couple of years before when we were in Leeds, we went to the refectory. And as, as, as Mark says, for, for those that know, back in the day when the refectory was open, it was an absolute must visit in, in, yeah, in terms definitely. of its, its taproom space. It was up there as one of the top taprooms in, in, in the UK just, yeah. just because of its space. And and we didn't think there would there would be any attraction to put in Northern Monk on the route while we're in Manchester, while we've got all these fantastic Manchester institutions to visit. Albeit a lot of people when we got to Beatniks Republic went to Northern Monk anyway because they wanted to visit. But 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 we that's just went fine. for food to be fair. Yeah, yeah, because there was, there was, yeah. I I went off in search of nugs, which was quite easily yeah. found after after that. <laughs> but um I, I, it's, it's, yeah, it's it's a tough one. I think I, I, I think sometimes local people are going to gravitate towards what's local to them r- rather than uh, uh, someone coming in from outside of the city and opening up a new bar. So, yeah. so, but, sorry, Mark, I, 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 I know I, you've got more thoughts on this. No, I, I, well, I also want to say, you know, because these are hypothetical. I'm using Northern Monk North as examples of things that could happen in, for other breweries. I just want to say, I see Thornbridge as a separate entity entirely. Firstly, because of just their size, their business model is True. M- much bigger than other breweries. So the other breweries that we're talking about, it's not really the same as, you know, Pomona Island that we're going to move on to in a, in a second. And secondly, because of where they're based, you know, we've all been to the tap room in Bakewell, but it's not a thing of we're frequently traveling to. Well, next, next time I'm in Bakewell... 
I'll just, uh, uh, you know, I'll draw. It, it doesn't work the same as next time I'm in Leeds, I can go to Northern Monks yeah. main bar yeah. or North bar. So having Thornbridge everywhere just feels like having you know, fullers everywhere or and, something and like that. And I think that. on, like on just... that Thornbridge point, Mark, as, as well, it's, we've got to remember that that just isn't just Thornbridge, that's Thornbridge and Pivovar, is, isn't it, that, have, that are in that partnership to open those bars in, in, that, in those cities. So... I, I don't think Thornbridge would have done that without the the, the backing or the support of Pivovar to, yeah. to, to open those bars. And I'm, I'm probably butchering their name there. Um, no, I be- think that's right. Because I, th- I think they're also involved in the Sheffield Tap as well. So, yeah. um, y- you know, that expansion has been because of a partnership with, a, with, with another agency. It's not just Thornbridge going, we're going to open a load of bars. Because for years they've been promising one in London and that's never materialised. So. And it helps that they're taking over nice pubs, nice buildings. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah so definitely. Each of want, those buildings is beautiful. The pubs mm-hmm. that you want to go to, whereas rather than feeling like just empty, shallow, IKEA furniture-style um, bars that some do. So regardless of who it is, you want to go to those pubs because they're just so beautiful and well-looked yeah. after. So, um, But th- there's uh, some good news locally in Manchester, isn't there, Rob? <laughs> Yeah, as I um, tried feel, to mention, I feel as though Mark's got a view about this as well. Yeah, <laughs> here's, here's something that you might have a view about, Mark. So we're talking about um, breweries expanding outside their city, but then um, Pomona Island are opening up a pub in Manchester. They are indeed, and that, you'll be unsurprised to know I've got a devil's advocate uh, negative spin on that. If, <laughs> but if we want to start on the positive side of it. Um, is is it an empty empty bar or just empty building in that they've taken over? I can't I can't remember now, but of course, you know, someone like Pomona Island who are in a funny place on the outskirts of Salford to have a tap room that could be relatively successful. I've certainly never been to their tap room because every time I've looked like I've looked at going there, I just think I can't be bothered going all the way out there. So that they are in one of those funny places that it makes sense for them to have a more central home for, for their beers. Um, and breweries owning their own pubs and bars as a way of keeping their business afloat again, makes so much sense. Absolutely brilliant news for them. What are your guys thoughts before I put a negative spin on it? (laughs) (laughs) My, my thoughts are good, good, to, good for them. You, you, you know, if they're taking over an, a, a, an empty space and they're able to fill it with their own beers, and one would assume probably some guest lines. Although, to, to be honest, I don't think I, I can think of another brewery in the UK that puts out as many new beers on a weekly basis as Panama Island do. Um, yeah. They must have a huge facility. That's it. Must go many levels underground. It's just for, too for far away. That they put too out. far away and no um, one can be bothered to go. So, so yeah, I mean, good good luck to them if, if they can afford to do that and if they think that now is the right time to do that. And and like you say there, Rob, if if they think that where their current location is is too far for people to travel to. It's like I've never been bothered about going, travelling. If I'm in Manchester, I'm just going to stay within walking distance of, of the city. Really. The furthest I'm going is the northern quarter, really. Well, yeah, I think if it if it wasn't for the fact that um, Marble had the Marble Arch, I I don't think I'd be making the trip out to their tap room to to, to drink their beers because it's it's again it's in Salford. Well, it's in Salford, yeah. 
and it, and it's just it's just an additional trek that after trekking all the way to Manchester, mm-hmm. I don't then need more travel to to, to get to somewhere. Um, but no, you, you know, good luck to Panama Island yeah. if they if they think that's gonna gonna, yeah. gonna work. I think it m- makes a lot of sense for them to open a central location because they are a brewery that are quite popular with with people. They brew a lot of the sort of uh, beers that perhaps don't resonate as much with um, us free. But um, in terms of the the market in general for your um, craft beer, bring that uh, phrase out again. That's they are brewing the sort of stuff that a lot of uh, punters are looking for. So for yep. them to um, move into a space that's a lot more accessible makes a lot of sense. And and it's better than that venue closing and being redeveloped into a Sainsbury's local or a McDonald's yeah. or, or, or and something I'll tell you like what, that. Some of these Sainsbury's locals don't even last. So you may as well try and do something positive with, yeah. with an ind- independent um, business. Yeah. Mark, let's get your hot take on um, why it isn't a great let's thing. Let's get spicy, folks. <laughs> I, no, I, certainly it's not that I don't think that it is. I just wonder about the future that because I think this is a model that a lot of breweries um, should, if they can, take up. I think it's a re- it is a really good move. What I wonder is what I was thinking about today is is this the same as when? a lot of breweries or the vast majority of breweries moved to having their own web shops and we saw not the death of but a certainly plummeting online sales for just more varied retailers and um independent bottle shops struggling because people could just buy beers direct all of a sudden and i was thinking is if if every brewery also had their own pub would places like port street or Cafe Beermoff, you know, just to use the Manchester examples, have a have a place anymore because what what are they going to stock that the individual places? You know, you could once more when I looked opens, you could have a day out in Manchester, which is the Marble Arch, which is a pub. You know, Cloudwater own Sadler's Cat, Tracks Tap Room is a, a tap room, not a brewery tap. You know, the Pomola Island pub, Beatniks have had their own pub. You know that that's still you can do like a, a brewery tour of brewery pubs rather than actual breweries, um, and I don't know whether there'll, there'll be a place for what the traditional beer bar anymore, or certainly that opening, and may, maybe that would bring about the death of that. I just wondered what your thoughts were on that because it was just a thought that I had. Uh, it's it's an interesting point, but I, I think there there are always going to be more independent beers that those sorts of places can stock and whether that's from the local area or whether they have to go a bit further afield that that's a decision for them to make isn't it because like like say you know let's use that cafe beer moth example that they might say well what what's the point in us stocking panoma island now because they've got they've got taproom and they've got their own pub people aren't going to come to us to drink panoma island um so let's we can we can stock someone else in, in instead of those it frees up it frees up a line that doesn't it for that, that another brewery can can take so i think it it creates opportunity for other, other, other breweries to, to come in and take that space that, that, that that's being used i, I think what the, the the i suppose the the flip side of that is 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 that it, it could get to a point where um, Panoma Island in particular could end up stocking so many of their own beers that 
people have already tried because they've bought them online that they go in and go well there's nothing new here why, why have i come all the way to your pub to to try beers that i've already drunk give me new because that's that's what people want all, all of the time isn't it well yeah. at, the, at the same time though they're going to have a lot more of just a uh, Johnny Punter and and Gary Beer Drinker just walking off the street as well, who perhaps aren't as um then they're not familiar with the beer, so perhaps there's more of an opportunity to to bring in new people and turn them into craft wankers. I just don't know. I don't know if it shuts those bars, but I think it would would maybe see the death of new ones opening the more varied bars. I don't know if a another Cafe Behemoth would open in the city right now. I think we will see, especially if Thornbridge and North Bruco also open places in Manchester. I think brewery-owned pubs going forward. Um, do you think, do you think Thornbridge would go to Manchester? It's it's the wrong side oh. of the hills, isn't it, for them? But they, well, no, Thornbridge, Thornbridge have been looking in Manchester for age. I don't, I don't know the ins and outs of bloody real estate, but I know that North Bruco were definitely looking in Manchester before they were Birmingham. And I think that might have been the case way before the Colmore Tap. I think it was the next place they wanted to go. Um, I know Brewdog looked in the northern quarter for absolutely ages and could just never find a place. So whatever the legislation is in Manchester, people find it very difficult to open up um, bars there. So, yeah, people want to get into Manchester. There's no question about that. And I I think we'll see more more of that happening. And like some of those breweries you've just mentioned as well, if they're going to open up a place, it's not going to be a, a small converted shop. It's going to be a, a big space as well. Yeah, it's yeah, going to absolutely. hold a lot of people, which will obviously make a big impact. Well, the Northern, the Northern Mump Bar was open, owned by Alphabet Brewery before that. Oh, was it? I didn't know that. And before that, it was just a really big, nice bar that sold reasonable beer every now and then. So uh, you know, it's, that's been varied things, and is a known. And I'm just using that as an example because you're absolutely right, Rob. They're the kind of places that breweries will take over rather than opening up a Middlesbrough micro pub. So I, I will, I will just say, just to I suppose round this off, that it's it's great that we're seeing places opening now in in in, in the current climate that people are taking that risk. It's it's better than. Um, breweries, bars, pubs, shops closing. Um, that, that that this is happening, and I suppose just to urge people, and I'm sure the majority of our listeners do, you know, continue to support your local pubs, continue to support your local bottle shops because they do need you now more than ever. And and I do just want to finish this segment with a, with a slight indulgence because I couldn't say this on on the last show. But I just want to say massive congratulations to listener of the show, Rich Taylor, who has now successfully taken over the running of the Vic in in Colchester. And good luck to you, mate. Um, We will continue to do our best. Well, I will continue to do my best to support you and give you a shout out when when it's due. And I'm very much looking forward to the day that Jaipur appears finally on your bar, served (laughs) properly through a sparkler. So, well done, Rich. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, there's there's a lot of challenges, but it doesn't mean that, that businesses can't really succeed now. They've just perhaps got to be a, a bit more creative than in the past. So, yeah, all, all the best to Rich in his um his new venture. Absolutely, so, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So, certainly um, a lot a lot of food for thought there. And uh, as always, we, we'd love to hear what you feel about the subject we've discussed. So, uh, yeah, get in touch. Use hashtag beer longing to get involved.
And uh, we'd love to include your comments in, in uh, re-reverberation section in the next show. And there's a new way that listeners can get involved as well that we're trialling. So, so we're trialling um, SpeakPipe voicemail, which uh, there'll be a link in the show notes to that. You can click on that and you can leave us your own recorded message uh, telling us what you think ab- about this subject or the show or us. Actually, yeah. no, forget those last two. Just tell us what you think about this subject. That's what we're really interested in. Yeah. Uh, and you can leave it anonymously as well. So there's a link link to that in the show notes. Uh, have a click on it and, and, and give it a go. We are, we are trying it as a new way of getting you involved in the show. For this month's interview, um, we're very excited to have spoken to and David Jesse Darson, who is a journalist and, and a writer for um, publications, including Pelicall, um, Good Bear Hunting, and it's, it's a really good chat with David. Uh, we started off speaking about the beer that he made with Villages Brewery in, in um, Deptford in South London. So they have a core range of three beers, Rodeo, Rafiki and Big Salad. And the latter Big Salad is the base that this one is made from. And so a normal Big Salad will have that kind of that hazy look to it. Maybe not so yellow because we put turmeric in this one. And so like what we did is the difference between this and a normal big salad is it has Indian spices. So it has coriander, amchur, turmeric, as I mentioned. And then there was a lime and mango puree added to the secondary uh, phase of it. So the, the, so it's really quite subtle, the Indian spices. I can really pick out the, it's the lime that comes across really so it's very zesty it's very nice and then i get a i think i'm not sure i'm no like expert on this i get a bit of like a fizz and i think that's the turmeric i don't know or maybe i'm sure and then we added jaggery to it so it made it, it made it very sweet that kind of thing and when i say we uh not me it was um zoe and johnny at villages who did all this the brewing and i just like like we had some talk about what it would be like and everything like that. And they did it all and I watched them do it. So I mainly took photos while they did it. And it was just really wonderful to be, this is my first time involved in, let's say involved in a brewing process. Um, well, how, did, uh, how did the collaboration come about? So it used to be Archie and his other brother and they're called something Village. Archie, you know, so they're, they're two brothers called Village. Seems like an unbelievable surname to me. But that's what they're called, hence villagers. And they agreed to it. And um, they went fully in for the project with Good Beer Hunting. And then they sold the brewery. And then luckily the guys who, guy who took it over agreed to do it. And um, yeah, and we've uh, worked hard to get him to understand what a collab is because he's never done that kind of thing before. And we've sold a few kegs to pubs like Southampton Arms. It's very expensive keg-wise, it uh, comes out, but they're buying into the idea of being a special beer, an anti-racist beer, uh, anti-colonial beer, decolonized IPA. And um, the idea was to have profits go to, um, to charities in South India or Pakistan, as it turned out, with the flood relief. And so that'll be announced later on how much we've raised. But really, it was about the marketing of it and to use this um, article that I um, produced for Good Beer Hunting called Empire State of Mind, which talks about my personal history of uh, my parents who were born in 
uh, empire. My mum was from Malaysia. My dad was from Singapore. Then it was one country called the Malaya Peninsula. And they came over here and they sort of tacitly accepted empirical um, marketing and all that. And then I tap into this idea of why do we have products that glorify the empire and stuff. And um, it's something that's been talked about by people like Salman Rushdie to William Dalrymple. And it's all about this idea of um, Britishness under threat is the theory why, why we do it. And we shall see it again post-Brexit. And we shall continue to see it until we have proper education in schools about what Empire was and what it did. All of us, I think, who were fans of Bengal Answer and Jaipur, especially. Um, great beers. Absolutely great. You know, amazing beers. I love both of them. Both are deeply pro- problematic the way they're marketed, yeah. let's be honest, though. And, and, and that's the thing. How, how do we approach them like going forward? Do, do you think we need to have a conversation with the, the breweries? Is the no, I don't. Do, think does it so, need to be really, better? No. Do, do, you, do you think? No, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I think I think it's really difficult because I think really what we need is to have better education in schools, and we're asking like breweries to do too much work. Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's like, non-existent, isn't it? Really, I, like I remember doing perhaps an hour at the most on, on, on the empire and then uh, an hour or two hours on, on, on the slave trade and then anything else I've, I've learned as an adult really. And it's, it's a bit pathetic. So I did a history degree and um, I was only really lucky because this guy called Dr. Tim Fernihoff and I remember him, I remember him all my life. Uh, sadly he died so, very young after I did this course and could never thank him. But he, he was a, he's a crazy guy who, um, his family were diplomats in Africa and stuff. And he was obsessed by Ethiopia. And so he taught like, uh, pre- he used to say, I hate the way these modules are called pre-colonial, colonial Africa and post-colonial Africa. Because for me, there's only one thing and it's Africa. And it doesn't matter what the Europeans did and everything. And he's like a really like, most posh white guy talking about it. In many ways, he was like the Dalrymple of his day. And he just went through atrocity after atrocity but the, the most interesting module that he did was the banditry and resistance, which was like people who like stood up to empire and everything. And they never get any, this is the idea that it was just like, it was so good for everyone. We just went over and pillaged everything, did everything and they wanted it to happen, but they didn't. And this is, and it's framed in that terms, like, because it's so difficult to come to terms with that there was so much opposition at the time and there was so much opposition at the time in this country so to get like so to get like a beer to try and unpack all that stuff now that's like fuller's or uh, thornbridge as you mentioned Jaipur, is really quite difficult um i'd like them to try in other ways but like I don't really expect them. Or I don't think anything less i'm not going to stop stop drinking Jaipur or bengal answer because they don't don't do do the kind of try the kind of thing that we did because it's a lot of explaining it for a can and a beer and they know they're going to get a whole load of let's be nice shit from people who are like wants wants to get involved in this idea of cancel cancel culture but but they've named they've named a beer a long time ago well i say a long time ago <clears throat> in in beer in beer relation terms, because there's a brewery, a local brewery near me that's just brewed an IPA. They only started last year, and they've just called it Mumbai. So these things are going to continue to 
But he's, I mean, he's, he, I mean, I mean, the thing is, is that it's up to them if they want to do it. They really want to ask themselves why they're doing it and why they don't like. Why is it that like they're white people brewing a beer and they're calling it after something in India without having any interaction with India or British Indians who British Indians like own pubs and everything like that? So but it it's, really pure, is... it's pure ignorance. But yeah. brewers yeah. like Fuller's and Thornbridge are potentially big enough to actually approach it and say whether it was a mistake or at least give some reasoning behind it. And then it starts from there so that it filters down to these smaller breweries that are yeah. still doing it. Otherwise it continues. So maybe there is something in the bigger breweries doing it. Maybe. I don't know. It's not for me to say really, you know, like I've given, mm. I've given it out, I'm putting it out there. The information's out there, man. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's not my, it's not my, like, um, it's, it's not my, um, I've not been put on this earth to educate white people about racism. <laughs> yeah. I've been like, yeah. I'm, I'm not like, you know, I put on this earth to tell stories and educate people in the sense of like writing about people who've never had voices. So like, it's not my duty to like knock on Thornbridge or Fuller's door and say, you need to sort this out. They need to do it themselves. You know, there's, I'll lose too much time. Um, doing actual journalism if I was doing all that shit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, your um, your article, Empire State of Mind, though, for me personally, was very thought-provoking because even though I have, like, some basic understanding of, of colonialism but um, and that sort of thing, which just through my own little bit of reading, and it really is quite minor, to be honest. But just the um, you mentioned about the Raj revival and then the names of these beers, and I... When I when I read that, I did kind of stop and think. It's a bit embarrassing, really. That I'd been drinking beers like Bengal Lancer and like drinking a lot of Jaipur, and I hadn't even really thought about the relevance of the name and the thought process put into it at all. So, I think like you you hit nail on the head with Raj Revival because it's not just beers. There was like things like Oxo Cube started like. Um, marketing themselves using the old-fashioned marketing, Turkish delight, um, plantation shutters, all these kind of things. They they're just tapping into this idea of colonial splendor, and the Raj revival really took place, took pace, I should say, gained speed under Thatcherism and the Falklands War and this idea of nationalism, and um, and it's and it's obviously gained pace since. Brexit, and so you've got to ask yourself, what's the difference? What's what? What connects us to the Falklands War, Brexit, and everything now? And it's this idea of like Britishness being under threat, and I think that the, this Britishness being under threat is being under threat of what? And it's the Britishness is a whiteness thing, and it's under threat from like global forces. And what I like Brexit is this idea that we can control our own borders, control our own laws, and everything's been proved tragically wrong what they what people what people wanted um aside from the racism side of it was to be able to think that britain is great again this idea that we sold and again it comes down to education of empire <laughs> this idea that we were great once and we did all these things yes it is bad these products that we're talking about and everything but i see everything as a systemic thing you know like People commit racism, people do stuff because of the way that they've been brought up and because of the way that, look, it's, it, there's no point in saying that like one institution is racist, you know, like, I don't know, Yorkshire Cricket Club is racist. 
Yeah, it is. But the whole of every single institution that we have in this country is racist because of the way it has this fundamental thing about white supremacy. Whether or not they like it or whether they employ people who are of colour or Asian or black or whatever. But the philosophy underpinning it all is this colonial thing of white supremacy. So yeah. if we were to get rid of that, then we could actually get to a stage where we could think about, like, hang on a minute, we could, like, get rid of the Bengal Lancer imagery and all the rest of it. But it would probably just happen naturally in every. Yeah, there's a, there's a huge divide there, and it only seems to be getting bigger at the moment. We need to be having these discussions, and white people need to have these discussions as much as brown and black people. Because we can't be, we have these discussions all the time in, in amongst ourselves. So the only change will happen is if you you guys or white people, allies, have these discussions as well. And that's why this kind of thing is really positive. You know, I don't feel outnumbered to be three white guys and one brown guy. You know, you're allies. So like, you, to me, you're not white people. And you, you're here on board on this journey and you're going to have to make those tough decisions as well at some point. And when it comes down to it, I fully trust that you will. That's fine. I, 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 we've always been the first to admit going into some of these conversations that we're as ignorant and uh, can be, yeah, potentially as prejudiced as, as anybody. We, we're not going to sit here and just say we're, we're the most educated people about it. But we're, we're, we want to listen and hear stories. Look, that in itself isn't ignorance. That in itself isn't. Being willing to change is not ignorance, man. Do you know what I mean? You know, that's a big thing. Like, Rob, like, where you are, you're like, you must be used to going to a few Desi pubs. You must know what a Desi pub is. Yeah, I say that. Like, where, where I live specifically is probably the whitest bit of Warsaw. But if I go near the, the town centre, it's like a, certainly areas around there are very, probably predominantly um, Indian and Pakistani backgrounds, especially around Plek and that sort of place. And then there's a lot of Desi pubs around there. And then just the wider, the West Midlands as well. It's a very diverse place, which I always enjoy being around that. And I find it weird when I go to other parts of the country where it's not like that. And I've, well, I mean, I'd even like compare like Birmingham and the black country super favourably compared to like London. Because, like, London is, like, this idea... Like, no one in London knows what a Desi pub is, unless if they live in, like, Southall, Harrow, Queensbury, or certain pockets of, like, North or West London. Um, but Birmingham, Smevik... Smevik, I love, man. Smevik, every pub is a Desi pub, man. I love that place. You know, and Walsall, all these places, they know what Desi pub... White people know what Desi pubs is. Like, West Brom, I went there for... Went to Smevik before... And West Brom, before West Brom played in the football. And white people are just like, this is my pub. This is my football team. We are going to this pub. This is a West Brom pub. We love it. And it's all part of their weekly routine and stuff like that. And find me a man who or woman who's as integrated as that in London. And actually, it's impossible to find. So this is where, like, narratives don't work, that we're being told this idea of, like, metropolitan areas, this kind of thing. And and I think really, like, this is why Desi pubs are really good, because they really do show, the, like, the best of Punjabi culture and and they open people up to things. And it's not just to do with food. Like the, the big pub in the big West Brom pub in Smevik, the Blue Gates, it's the famous pub that Malcolm X visited to see how segregation is. It's now the official West Brom pub. And you go there, doesn't do food. 
and you go there and like 11 o'clock in um, and it's full of West Brom fans but it's not football hooligans by any chance it's no. like people who are like families that kind of thing and they speak to Jack the landlord it's part of their punctuation a week he's like how's your week been son I haven't seen you this work what did you do and like it's something that like I don't see that in London you know no. I don't see that I see it's ghettoized in London whereas whether or not it's because people are more friendly in general, the black country welcome, couple that with des- desiness. Let's start from the beginning, though. What Your your beer drinking journey, we've read about in a couple of articles, um, your first time in a pub when you were 15 and stuff, but what what? how did you, how did you get into the beer and pub culture? Um, yeah, so when I was 15, uh, so I grew up in Dunstable, and Dunstable's in Bedfordshire next to Luton. Luton is, is quite diverse. It's um uh i think it's probably even like like smevic maybe maybe not though it's a lot of asians who live there they're not punjabis though it's mainly pakistanis who live there so there are some punjabis who worked in like the car plants and uh hoover but anyway i lived in dunstable which is the town next to it which is a white majority town by a long way i think it's something it's when i was growing up it was 97 98 white i was the only uh non-white person at school and so the, the first place I went to is the Crown. And it was uh, just like any other pub you'd imagine, but it was like a real ale pub. I walked in through the door and uh, someone just shouted out, taxi, like that. And so that's like my first experience of a pub. So I sort of sat, I was like, fuck them, I had it. And I had, um, I think I had a 6X, Wadworth 6X. And I loved it. And it kind of like, I really did like beer. And I, from the start, and I just thought this is really different and everything. Um, and then fast forward to me being maybe about 10 years later, I was working in London Bridge for a, um, a you know, working evenings. And the only place that was open was the Blue Eyed Maid on Borough High Street. And if I was being generous, I'd say it was a Desi pub. But if I was being brutally honest, I'd say it was a dive bar that had a an Indian restaurant upstairs. And they call, called it Chutney Jane. Like it was like the um, <laughs> the high-end Indian restaurant. in. Uh, but really, the reality of it was that it was uh, a place that you just end up when the pubs chuck out. But it did have a team of um, Indian bouncers who were marshaled by Jay, this landlord, who, and now it's shut down, unfortunately. Um, and so that was my first experience of it. And then round the corner is the Glad, the Gladstone, which was taken over by Mega and Gurav a few years ago. And so I recently gravitated towards their, people say it's my local, and I guess it is really. They're just really like nice people. And um, they do... There is classic Desi pub and they do sort of Indian food, but it's Indian fusion food, sort of pies, like chicken tikka pies, that kind of thing, mutter paneer pies, that kind of thing. Um, but they're very sort of Punjabi. You can get old monk rum, that kind of thing. And um, a lot, but a lot of the locals who the, the people who used to drink in it before say they're amazing, but they didn't know what a Desi pub was or, and then they're very interested. Like, what is a Desi pub? So you tell them and everything like that. And then so I got commissioned to write a book for camera on Desi pubs, which I'm writing now. And that's meant um, lots of trips around the country. But I first became like really fully immersed in Smethwick when I wrote about after Johal Singh, who was this um, Punjabi guy 
who came to England in the 1950s, realised that Smethwick was a deeply racist, deeply segregated um, town. Uh, the factories had uh, different toilets. There were non-white toilets, black toilets, even at the workplace. And the pubs ran a colour bar. And so what he did to break the colour bar in uh, places like the Blue Gates um, was to, he would get served a beer by a, a sort of white student would go to a bar of the university nearby. And then when the landlord realised he had the beer, he like would bar him. And then so he gave evidence to the uh, when their landlord's licenses came up for renewal. And that eventually led to the Desi pubs that started the sort of Indians taking over and um, setting up as community hubs. But also they weren't just for uh, Indians. They were for white people as well. And now every pub, every single pub in Smevik is run by a, a, a sort of person of Indian origin. So Smethwick, because they, we're talking about 1950s when this like brutal racism took place, it's usually a grandfather, a great grandfather, and they just hold on to the heritage. And they even have <laughs> discovered they even have a, a a union. So all these like landlords, they get together and they chat about like uh, legislation and that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, it's um, it's a really interesting thing. And but the. The, the Desi pubs in London have a different heritage based in Southall. Glassy Junction was like this amazing place. And they kind of, it's more disparate, disparate since Glassy Junction shut down. But they have these old, uh, own unique histories and things like that as well. It's, and um, yeah, they're, I think like they're an amazing place. Like you go there and um, you can just chat to people who are, Indian who drink as well and they might not necessarily be Punjabis or whatever but we, we all have this thing of being in common of drinking and and then like in um, Smevik particularly it's so welcoming to to white people that it, they are like 50-50 and like no one really bats an eyelid when 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 certain Punjabi terms are used or talked about or anything and the the thing about Smevik that I like as well is that they still serve uh, Mitchell and Butler mild which was a drink that um, a drink that uh, uh, in Indians used to drink at the foundry. So they used to like uh, finish at lunchtime for have their lunch break, and the landlords would have them on the bar, like two pints each for everyone. And they used to neck these drinks. So these foundries were like Victorian factories with like really hot heat. And so you still go there now, and the Blue Gate sell sell a pint of. Mitchell and Butler um, Mild, which is contract brewed by Coors, for £2.10. And I think that's the cheapest pint outside of Weatherspoons. And actually, it's a really good pint as well. 2.8%. Old-fashioned. But the only people who drink that are Indian people, old Indians now. So it's dying out, really. So I drink it as part of, part of my heritage. So my dream is that after the book comes out, that more people will go and say, look, we want a nice pills to go we want raw house or whatever to go with our curry and that's the thing because it won't be led by just me going in and saying look come on i'm fed up with drinking cobra and kingfisher and all this kind of madri or the rest of it these macro lagers can we get like um this in and that and, and i think they, they would definitely do that and um and that's my dream about it really because they really do great food in a way that like say say like curry house food in my opinion well no, not just in my opinion but Bangladeshi curry house food isn't like 
great food. It's like the, the full menu with loads and loads of things. It's going to be pre-mixed, used colorants and all this kind of things. But don't let me get the impression that I am being derogatory to Bangladeshi people because they put up with so much racism when they came to this country and created curry houses, populating curries. But Desi pubs are a mix of really great high-end food like the Chutney Janes, your Cinnamon Leaf, all those high-end restaurants that you get in London, but at pub prices at, that can compete with you know, the burger and chips at a gastro pub. So you will eat well at a Desi pub without having to spend like an absolute fortune for the amount of food that you're going to get. Well, you say we'll talk about Desi pubs, obviously, in Birmingham and in London. Now, for those of us that are beginners, are they everywhere? So one place where I know there's none is Wales, because there just aren't any. Um, there, there isn't a Gudwara in Wales. So like there's hundreds of not hundreds, but there's tons of like Gudwaras and these are Sikh temples in like London and in Birmingham. But to have one in a whole, not have one in a whole country is like, okay. And so they don't have that history of Punjabis going over there for whatever reason. And so because of that, there isn't one. But if you look at other places, so I know one's in Gravesend. I know one in Bristol. I know two in Bristol. Uh, I know one in Newcastle that's been set up, the Soho Tavern, very famous one, Rob, aren't they, in Birmingham. They were an old uh, Desi pub, and they re- rejuvenated, created the brand, and they had one, opened one in Gate, Gateshead. Um, and there's some in Bradford, Leicester, Leeds, all those kind of places. So they don't have one in um, in Liverpool, which is very strange because there is a Sikh community in Liverpool that's established, but it tends they tend to socialise around the Gurdwara. The one thing I've discovered about it is that I'm... As I go to all these different parts of the country, I'm kind of discovering more about our country. It sounds like you're getting far more content than you need for the book, just just mm-hmm. by travelling around and, and and sort of like doing your research. Yeah, really. I mean, the thing that's that's, but that's my whole my whole career is far too much content. Every time <laughs> I every time I go to write something, I've got like. 4,000 words I could write about it. It might not be something you want to talk about, David, but it was something that I only read about today and um, I, something that I try and talk about a lot in this industry. Um, my dad was an alcoholic and it cost, him his, well, it cost him his life before he died and then it cost him his life in the end. Um, and something I get asked about a lot, the, a question I get asked a lot, not really by people in beer but people outside of beer is has what happened to your dad not changed your view of alcohol but basically what they're trying to say to me is how can you still drink when you saw what it did to your dad mark is a great question um my dad also was an alcoholic when he first came to this country he hid bottles everywhere and everything like you know but i think really like what we're talking about and i I've talked about this in many different substances and things like this is that um, he, your dad didn't become an alcoholic or my dad didn't become an alcoholic because of the alcohol. He became an alcoholic because of very, well, I don't know about your dad, so apologies, but my dad became an alcoholic because of various other social and systemic issues and alcohol was the thing that filled the gap. And so like for someone like me, um, I don't think I'll ever become an alcoholic because um, I've had extensive therapy and I deal like 
I've had a lot of racism that I deal with and I have post-traumatic stress disorder. And I don't think I deal with those things through alcohol. There are triggers where I could tip into that and I could become, I think to myself, it'd be very easy to drown in all this kind of stuff. But I've got a, a partner and two young kids and I can't do that. And so I think that really when we come, when we talk about this idea of alcoholism, we really need to talk about this idea of why people are becoming alcohol, alcoholics rather than, the, the, than the, the substance. Because I think that even if you took away the substance, people would find other ways to numb the pain, to forget what they're thinking and things like that. I do think that there's a problem with the way that alcohol is marketed, particularly craft actually, as it goes, like this idea of it being childish or fun or like or even instagram really being quite it's quite a difficult subject really and so like on instagram i'll go on and i've, I've just followed people who followed me and so my feed is complete garbage really because of that. <laughs> and a lot of it is tied into luxury and a lot of it's tied into glamour and i don't think that that there are certain laws that prevent alcohol being advertised in that way but now because of social media, we're seeing it differently and different body images attached to alcohol and all the rest of it. Alcohol is like intertwined in our society. There's no getting around it. And I think like demystifying it and pubs particularly is a really good idea. The idea for me that like, say I have this thing that I love non-alcoholic beers and I think they can do a great service to a lot of people, but they're only marketed at moderators rather than teetotalers. And I think that's a big problem, um, especially because it's something that shows that the inherent problem with the way that craft is sold. So I was at an event and I think they let it slip that the biggest market for non-alcoholic wine was Muslim weddings. And which got me thinking that you should just embrace that. You should just create bars, do pubs, market it at these this people. But because the people who work at these things aren't Muslims, they're very scared to do that. And I don't think that's a thing that you should be scared of because, and here's my big soundbite, diversity means more money. The more that you sell, the more, the more that you reach out to people, the more you will sell. And I think non-alcoholic beer is the best point of this. And I think that we really need to get to a point where alcoholics can go into a pub and not feel any pressure or anything about it. It'd be like just going into the home or someone else's home. And so any, everyone can feel that they can have whatever drink they want and not feel under any social systemic pressure to have whatever drink. So I answered your question there, Mark, didn't I? Basically, the answer I've been trying to give for 15 years, but you've um, articulated it better than I've managed to do in any, anything, any form of media. So thank you for that. There's, 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 there's no easy segue out of that either. So I'm just, <laughs> I'm just going to go, I'm going to go straight for it. Um, just just to start wrapping things up, I, I suppose, David, what we'll do is we'll put links to all of your writing in, in the show notes. And and, and then finally, uh, congratulations on winning uh, an award this week as well. So you've won the Writer of the Year for, for the Be Inclusive Hospitality. Um, congratulations on that. How, how do you feel about winning that award? Yeah, it was it was it was really nice to um, to be recognised. I think that um this is the hypocritical part of me is that i interview people all the time about their race and their where they're from and so when it's put to me that i'm going to win a, a an award because of um 
inclusivity and diversity and stuff I kind of like feel a little bit shy about that kind of thing if I was being honest with you um it and they like are trying to highlight like different things to like say the beer writers guild and things like that um prestige wise it's amazing like for all different types of things but (laughs) here's the strange thing i really just missed my peers last night so like like like, so the three writers they're not people that i've ever met or like or or write or journalists really they're they do different types of writing i think one person was on bake-off or one person would write recipes and the other guy, he was great. I love chatting to him. He writes, he's, he was a, co- he was a cocktail guy and, and he's written a few cocktail recipes. And then the rest of these guys that I was talking to, it was pretty amazing. They, they were like um, working in wine um, and it's really difficult if you're of color to work in wine. But after a while, I just wanted to chill, man. I didn't want to hear about racism all the time. And I really kind of missed the kind of guild event. And it kind of made me think, like, I just like to have it, like, where it's, like, a bit of, bit, a bit more integration in either direction, really. It makes me sound ungrateful because, like, the thing is, is that really is, like, an amazing, like, prestige to, to be even nominated for these kind of awards. So to get them, it, it, it is, it, to get it to win, I wasn't expecting, and I was just happy to be nominated. But I think, like, ultimately for that kind of award... I hope that someone else can win it next year. So it shows that like there is my churn and diversity in that thing. It's not like winning beer writer of the year, which is like, you know, a thing which just is, is like shows that you wrote the best stuff about beer of the year. You know, it's, it's, it's been great chatting to you. No worries. Well, thank you so much for having me. And, and basically thank you so much for being so enthusiastic about all the stuff that I've written. Well, the, you've been you've been fantastic, and it's been so good talking to you, and the, a lot of the uh, food for thought as well. So, yeah, okay, yeah, thanks for your time. <laughs> Thank no you very worries, much. Rob. Cheers, guys. Thanks very much. Thanks so much, David. Well, that was a great interview with, with with David, and I think it's fair to say that all three of us really enjoyed the conversation that we had with him. And I think what you heard there was a mere third of, of the total conversation that, yeah. that, that we had with David. We went off on some amazing tangents, in, in including um, old school sports kits, how they were designed <laughs> and, and, and all sorts. I'm not, I'm, so I'm not sure about, I, I mean, I'm, I don't want to speak for uh, you, Rob and Mark. How, how, did, how did you feel about that conversation with David? It was, it, was a, it was a really great evening, wasn't it, to be fair? And, like, you talk about old-fashioned um, old retro sports kits, but we, we touched on a lot of important subjects that, unfortunately, it just uh, we would have taken up the whole of the show on some several tangents. I'll tell you what, he's the kind of person, though, that you could spend an entire day in the pub with and never get bored of chatting to him. Yeah, and I hope hey. to in the future, I have to say. Oh, yeah. Could, could yeah. you just you could just sit in a pub with that man all afternoon, drink, yeah. drink, drinking pint after pint and going off in all sorts of tangents. And... Let, let's uh, let's plan a trip to Smevik. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Yes, yes. We're into the final part of the show now. So this is round three of our beers. This is a beer that we've found either in the back of a cupboard, in the back of the fridge, or something that we've grabbed at the last minute uh, to enjoy on, on, on this part of the show. And I am intrigued to see what we've got this month. I'm not going to go first, and I know Mark wants to go last. So, Rob, that means 
you get to go first and, and then I'll come in after you and, and then Mark can share what he's got. Well, esteemed gentlemen, I am in for a treat today. It has to be said. And this links um, back well to episode one, where we talked a little bit about um, Britannomyces and how it can be just a, a wonderful uh, wild yeast to, to using fresh beers. But I have got an aged Orval, which I have had for ages. Fantastic. It's, it's probably gone past the sweet point of eight, 18 months, which some people have said. And I say some people, I don't know what the sweet point is, but that's what some people on the internet said. And you can always Six trust. Weeks. <laughs> you can always trust the internet. But yet, so this was bottled on what the the third of the sixth, twenty twenty. And I think I bought two bottles, and I had one fresh, and it was lovely, as you'd imagine. But now I have got this this aged bad boy. Okay, uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> I just made an involuntary noise there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure why I do this to myself. So, so, so the beer that I've got is is, is older than, than yours, Rob. And it's one that for some reason has resided in the back of my cellar since uh, somewhere around the turn of 2017 into 2018. I am drinking... Um, Green King Suffolk Springer. Now, this went out of date in February 2018. <laughs> oh, God. Which, oh, God, it's in a clear bottle. Which, which <laughs> means it must have been brewed in February 2017, knowing Green King, put a year on it. It's in a clear bottle. Um, first What's the ABV? It's 6%. Six foot. So Suffolk Springer is a premium dark owl. Um, th- there are a number of things about this. Firstly, I don't remember why I bought it. Secondly, I don't remember why I decided to start aging it. And, and thirdly, I don't remember why I completely forgot about it. But I've, I've poured it into the glass. And first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised to see it's still got mm. some life and, and there's still some head in there. On the nose, it is all... You know what? It actually smells like Fuller's Vintage Owl. And oh. I don't know which of the two beers is do- I'm doing a disservice there to. But um... I'd love it if it tasted as good as Vintage, <laughs> vintage Owl. It doesn't taste as good as Vintage Owl, but it's not terrible. Um, it's really caramelly. It's, it's really sweet. Um Lots of, of, of woody and earthy notes. There's there's some maybe a little bit of fruitcake in there. Um, you know what? Oh, hang on. There's a touch of vinegar as, as, as well on, on the nose. Mm. I, I, I think I think it's held up relatively well, considering it's in a clear bottle and considering it's almost six years old as as, as well. Um, is, it, um, is it quite up to like Duchesse de Bourgogne? No, there's, there's there's no sourness. There's no tartness in there. there. There's no taste of vinegar. It's the the slightest hint on the nose. Right. Um, that's not a shit beer, and and six years of age hasn't made it any any worse either. Um, wow. Well, that's, that, that is a revelation. That, that, that is a revelation. This that's absolutely what this segment was always meant yeah. for. Things like that. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. So. There you go. It's been sat in the bottom of back back of my cellar. Um, it, it's finally seen the light of day, uh, probably for the best, considering it's in a clear glass bottle. Um, but yeah, Suffolk Springer, Green King, six percent dark owl, not bad at all. Fantastic. Well, I have chosen 
and it's one of those beers that I'm clinging on to, knowing that I'll can never have it again. But then, if you don't pick a time to have it, then I'll, it'll be in my shed forever and not getting any better, slowly deteriorating. But based on our reverberations conversation today, I went for my final can of Cheshire Brewhouse Gibraltar Porter. Oh, what a beer! That is a good beer. What a beer! Which, of course, doesn't need any introduction. Um, but I thought it is it is one of those beers that will just remain in my stash for too long, potentially deteriorating, um, unless I think of a reason to have it. And, I, and when we were talking about the breweries that have sadly closed, including Cheshire Brew House, of course, today, I thought this is the show to bring it out on. And <laughs> it's still absolutely stunning. I bet it is. Such a good it, it, it makes it just makes me sad though. I'm not, I'm almost emotional drinking it because it is exactly that that it um is I'm never going to have it again. Which brings us into what is the final segment of the show. It's the end of this belonging show, my friend. Where we dis- discuss a certain topic. And today we are going to discuss memories, a memory or a memory or two of some of the breweries that we have sadly lost this year. Um, Rob, have you got any memories that you would like to share? Yeah. um, So we obviously touched on um, Skinner's earlier. And for me, Cornwall and and Nokia have always just had a, a special place in my heart, especially Nokia. You go down there. Long-haired, freaky person like me. I always feel very at home because it's just full of weirdos like me, walking around, not wearing shoes. And uh, Skinner's beers were always a big part of my experiences down in, in the southwest. So beers like Betty's Dogs, I've, I have had nights where I have lost count of the amount of points of that stuff. And then Paul Leather, and then some of their, their dodgier beers with the, the, the dodgy, uh, outdated names and pump clips as well. They were good beers, if if not the uh, not the not the most uh, woke names. But yeah, I'm, I'm, it's not going to be the same next time I get into Cornwall and those beers on there. So that's kind of my uh, reflection for this section. Yeah, because I was going to mention Skinner's myself when we went. We went down to Cornwall for all of our family summer holidays, and I've just got images of my dad drinking Skinner's and thinking the terrible postcard humour punklets were hilarious. And then, <laughs> yeah, as, as as I was of drinking age and stopped going on family holidays, he'd always bring us bottles of Betty Stogs back from their summer holidays as well. So, yeah, fond memories of Skinner's myself. What about yourself, Steve? Any on that list? That... Oh, the, yeah, there's a couple. But before I do, I just, just need to uh, interrupt your beautiful segue as as well, Mark. I've, I've just poured out the rest of my beer. So this, this is the clear bottle. Listeners won't be able to see this. I will post it for this. <laughs> this is the clear bottle. Stained. This is the bottom. <laughs> but even the... Ro- <laughs> the, the, the bottom is, 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 is basically brown. Even the um, rest of the bottle's looking like yellow. I, I mean, look at that. <laughs> What is going on there? Um, Syrup. 
uh, yeah, I, I will post the picture of this for, for our listeners to see. Um, but coming back to your, your, your question, Mark, um, there's, there's a couple on that list. Uh, obvious mention to Cheshire Brewhouse. Um, they, Shane was a great supporter of opinions um, going back a number of years as well. Um, we, we, we got, we had the pleasure of trying a lot of beers from Shane and I, I know we raved about the Govinda, um, which was yeah. a, an incredible uh, beer, um, that Gibraltar Porter was just stunning. Um, and, and the final beer he brewed as well, which he only sent out to a handful of people and, and, and I was lucky enough to get a couple of cans of it. The elephant elephant's breath ES, uh, barrel aged ESB just incredible and and you look at that and you think that's such a talent that's been lost to 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 this industry for for whatever reason um so mentioned to cheshire brew house and and the other one would be nomadic brewing brewing as well um again fond memories of katie um appearing on opinions but before that um also we emma emma and i visited their tap room the last time we were in leeds we spent the afternoon there wonderful little environment really welcoming really friendly amazing cask beers and and i think they they suffered of just being that their location was just outside that circle yeah. of places you would visit in, in, in Leeds. And, and that's, that's a real shame. And um, yeah, I've got real fond memories of, of, of drinking beers from, from, from those two. Uh, what, what about you, Mark? What's, what's, what's your memories on this one? I mean, so many on the list. It's, it is such a sad list to um, read. Obviously, you know, you, you think about the breweries I went to beatniks. I, I went to nomadic tap room myself, Mouselow farm, is on that list which is was my most local brewery to to myself terrible terrible beers but the most gorgeous location on the top of a hill on a farm and they did the most incredible open days um five towns are on there they were heavily involved in east meets west prospect brewery in wigan who did and you'll love this steve the Nutty Slack, the most amazing dark mild you'll ever drink. Um, and a stout called Big John. That's such a big loss um, to think that I won't have those beers again. But it was um, Fallon in Scotland, just west of Stirling, which I was most sad about. And I mean, I mean Fallon in, in themselves, there's so many good beers at that brewery, but they're 4.1% session beer odyssey for me was up there with the very best in this country. And I'm talking like Yarl and Sonoma quality to me and not just the quality of the beer, but the memories that we go to Edinburgh annually. And one of the annual treats was going to Bobar and having a pint of odyssey on cask. So it's not just the beer, but the experience, the moment that's lost as well with the brewery going is so, uh, we'll be going to Edinburgh in a few weeks time hopefully and the idea that I'm not going to get that moment that we annually share together is uh, really really quite sad so that's the, that, that's the big one for me and, and I think that just reiterates what we said earlier on it's it, it's tough times right now for everyone um, and sometimes there are things that have to take priority over going out and enjoying yourselves. But if, if we don't start using our pubs 
our our tap rooms, our bottle shops. Um, we're we're going to lose them, and and if we lose those places that 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 service our beer, then the places that make the beer for those places are going to feel that impact, and they're going to go as well. So I, I think, and and it's preaching to the converted with, with our yeah. listeners. I think it's 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 do what you can to support the things that you love, um, because if you don't, you're going to lose them. It's 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 as simple as that, and I, I don't want to I don't want to end on on that negative. So, so 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 let's 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 not let's try and try and bring this uh, around a little bit. I've I've really enjoyed this this second episode of Belonging. Um, I've been surprised by the Suffolk Springer. I, I really have, apart from the <laughs> shit that's at the bottom of that bottle, um, <laughs> which is really worrying me. Um, yeah. I'm it, certainly ending on a very, very good beer. So yeah, yeah. Gibraltar well, Porter is yeah, living well, up to everything. It's a better beer than I thought it was going to be. Let's <laughs> let, 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 let's let's put it that way. But that does bring us um, to the end of this episode. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Beer O'Clock Show for all of the latest updates on the show and what I'm up to. Mark, where can our listeners find you? Uh, they find me at, at Mark N. Johnson on Twitter, and my blog is at beercompagation.co.uk. And I'm glad so many people went out and found out what compagation meant <laughs> yes. after the first <laughs> show, as, as, including myself, yeah. and I have some a little shocked. Uh, <laughs> I, actually, I actually had a few people actually um, speak to me about that as well. <laughs> Oh gosh! Yeah. It wasn't your parents, was it? No, 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 no. That's that's too much effort. <laughs> and and Rob, where can people find you? They can find me uh, Twitter and Instagram, Rob underscore Edwards ninety, and on both of those, my link trees there to point you in the direction of my music stuff and my uh, my old beer blogging stuff. And and you did drop a surprise episode of social distancing sounds as well, didn't you? A couple of weeks ago. <laughs> Well, they're all a surprise. I'm, I'm all about the elements of surprise. <laughs> so even people... I, even I listened to that one. It had a tribute to Coolio in it. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh wow! <laughs> you heard there it you here, go, big, Mark Johnson, big time, Rob Edwards. Remember to use hashtag belonging to get involved in the show, or you can use our new SpeakPipe voicemail feature. There's a link to that in the show notes. So give that a click, and we would love to hear from you next month. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Belonging. We hope you've enjoyed the show and we look forward to hearing your thoughts on the things we've been chatting about. Cheers. 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 Because yes, that was like really brief. Yeah. Oh, that is. It was great to see so many people. Oh, that's that's a point. And I met. Um, no, no, you're done. You're I'm done. Met, no, no, no. I'm carrying on now. Can't stop me. The train is back on the rails. <laughs>